Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash, crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And there is no winning, only degrees of losing. This week on Cinemonities, we are continuing on with our Danny DeVito Direct Series. And right off the bat, I am once again very excited to not have Zach with us, but LaShawn is back for his second appearance on Cinemonities. LaShawn, thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, anytime. I'm glad to be back, especially so soon. I loved having the chance to uh, talk about movies with you. Right on. And I'm also excited because I'm sure you'll be pitching this as much as you want, but if everybody remembers from last month, we had LaShawn on because he is, of course, the head of the fantastic YouTube channel, LJ's Garage, where he talks about cars, and I'm very excited that we actually have some cars in this movie to discuss. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, those cars have a pretty, yeah, we'll talk about those cars because one of them has an untimely death. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna we're just gonna like slowly build up because last month with black swan i don't think there was like a car anywhere there was just like one scene where they're inside of a car but there's nothing else about them now we have two cars <laughs> yeah so we're just slowly gonna work up exactly and thanks for that little shout out yeah you guys can always catch me on uh, my little youtube channel lj's garage and i talk about cars in depth in depth depth real deep Oh, yeah. So if you ever get tired, I think I said this last time, but if you ever get tired of the movie discussions, you can head over for some car discussions. (laughs) (laughs) So with that being said, uh, before we can kick things off um, and a little we're going to have some other stuff before this movie, but we have to talk about, well, where is Zach? And Zach is at hard working at the restaurant. And there's actually two things he's trying to juggle this week. Uh, one is that we recently, I think just last month, I think it was after you, it might have been just before or just after you were on here for Black Swan, LaShawn, uh, we hired a lawyer of sorts, a lawyer slash insurance agent slash fraud conveyor. So, okay. uh, you know, the usual things you do for the restaurant, the kind of good <laughs> things, bad things, you know, that type of stuff. But he is in the process, Maximo is his name, I should say, of bringing some litigation against some restaurants that are trying to knock us off. While that litigation is pending, I don't think I want to get into it fully, so tune in next week if you want to know more about the continuing adventures of the Cinemodities restaurant. But Zach's (laughs) working with that, with the litigation, but also something that we uh, were vying for and we recently learned that we're getting, our restaurant this year is going to be hosting the World Series of Dice. So Zach is overseeing everything, getting in, a, in the right place, you know, making sure that we have all our, our little cardboard boxes laid out for people to play dice on. And, you know, people are getting shot, people are getting robbed, and this is before the event has even started. So it's, it's a grand old time over at the Cinemodities restaurant. We got litigation going on while we're hosting a giant event. What better time to just have Zach working at the restaurant and me over here talking about movies and we consider that a 50-50 split. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> so, with all that out of the way, we are starting, or we have started, a new series, which I think you already heard me mention at the start of this episode, LaShawn. 
Every Monday this month, we are talking about another movie that Danny DeVito has directed. And so last week, we did a lot of history of Danny DeVito. Uh, we talked about, I talked about briefly his directorial debut, which was a movie called The Ratings Game, which went straight to TV. And then his theatrical debut was Throw Mama from the Train. That's what we did last week. But now we are going two years ahead of that to 1988, sorry, 1989, with The War of the Roses. And before we get into some of the history, or I think this, I hope this doesn't become a regular thing, my incorrect history with us and this movie, we'll, we'll get to that. I do have to <laughs> throw it over to you, because now that we have all these, this new cast of characters on Cinemodities, do you have any history with Danny DeVito? Are you a fan? Do you hate him? What are, you, what are your thoughts? What's your context with Danny DeVito, if you have any? So I'm not going to lie. I don't have a whole lot. I didn't actually realize who Danny DeVito was until he popped up in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. And I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. He's awesome. And so <laughs> when you when I saw him in this movie, I was like, oh, gosh, that's the same guy. And then um, on top of that, I didn't realize that he was a producer until you shared that great knowledge with me just now. Yes. And so that was my inspiration for this series was that. These days, whenever I talk about Danny DeVito, I get that same thing from a lot of people. They're like, oh, yeah, he's Frank on uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it's like, that's that's what he is. And it's like, yes, that is what he is. And he's a great character on that show from 2006, like up till now. He's still going on it. But he's been around, you know, since the 80s, acting in movies, producing movies, directing movies, all that great stuff. And since everyone had this notion of him in It's Always Sunny, I wanted to throw it back and talk about some of the other things that he's done. So I think the only other one you might be familiar with, because a lot of his movies seem to either just be like, like have cult followings or they just get forgotten throughout the years. Um, his probably most famous movie where most people or the people that know about him before It's Always Sunny is Matilda. Did you ever see Matilda back in the day? Oh, yeah, sure did. Yeah, so he uh, he was in that. He directed that as well. But uh, I had to just ask if you were familiar with that, at least, because we're not there yet. That's going to be next week. We're on his <laughs> second directorial movie. And before we jump into it, we have, since it's so close to his first one, Throw Mama from the Train, we do have a little bit of history. What was he doing from, you know, the end of 1987 to the end of 1989? And between these two movies, he only had one film role, and it was in Twins. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Twins, LaShawn, but I'm not kidding you. When the premise of this movie is there's a pair of twins that are separated at birth. They grow up and they reconnect. One of them is played by Danny DeVito. One of them is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a comedy from 1988. Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger are twins. I've seen this movie a long time ago. I don't remember anything about it. Except there's one scene. And this is another reason I love having you here, LaShawn. Danny DeVito's like the street smart one, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is the uh, like the naive one. And of course, everybody knows their stature. I think there's a scene where like Danny DeVito breaks into a car, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, "Oh, we can turn the car alarm off by lifting it off the ground from the back." And for some reason, this is the only thing I remember about this movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger lifts a car up from behind, and it stops the alarm. Whoa, yeah. these cars have terrific alarms. I'll get a minute. Well, just a second, Jules. Whoa! 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 Whoa!
See, if you lift the rear end of a car to an angle greater than 45 degrees, the mercury switch activates the automatic cutoff system. So the alarms computer thinks that the car is being towed away and shuts off. Is this just movie nonsense? Or back in the 80s, could, could, this, like, could an alarm be stopped by tilting a car? So that would be weird because I know that some cars have a... There's kind of like a rumble sensor. So if the car moves or like gets hit, it's okay. just like that impact. But I can't imagine being it, having it reset by lifting it. Like I feel like that further indicates something bad is going on with the car. So why would you, you know, I don't know. That, I'd have to research that one. That's, that, that's crazy. That is a great point because when you said like why would lifting it reset it? Like imagine if you were in a car and it like rolled into a ditch. And so it was at an angle like the back was oh. lifted up. And it's just like, oh, the, the alarm's not going to go off. The airbag's not going to go off like because it's tilted. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I got to watch that movie one day again. But for, like I said, that is literally the only thing I remember about that movie, that he turns off a car alarm by lifting it. Also <laughs> in 1988, Danny DeVito had his, one of his television appearances on Sesame Street as Oscar Van Grouch who was oh, the God. curator of the Museum of Trash. And when I read this, the only thing this made me think of is when It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he's the trash man, the wrestler. And yep. he's like, I'm just going to eat trash and on the, uh, in the ring or whatever. The most important part of our routine is the entrance. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Frank, what the hell are you doing, man? That's my character. I'm the trash man. I come out... I throw trash all over the all over the ring, and then I start eating garbage, and then I pick up the trash can and I smash the guy on the head. Oh, that's gonna be a disaster! No, no, no. And I was like, oh, maybe there's some connection that he was the curator of the Museum of Trash on Sesame Street, but who knows? But that's really kind of it. Since Throw Mama from the Train, up till the War of the Roses, that two years, he didn't really do much other than. I think, you know, shoot this movie, direct this movie, and, you know, get it out there. And so, I think this is where this, uh, once again, my misremembered history of this movie gets to come into play. When I was thinking about this series, and I was like, oh yeah, Danny DeVito, gotta do, you know, The War of the Roses and Matilda were the two that came to my mind, because I love both of those movies. And I was like, oh, this is another great reason I can ask LaShawn to be involved. Because I'm pretty sure I told him to watch War of the Roses back when we were in college. Check out sure our did. Black Swan episode for all that history. And <laughs> I, for some reason, I remembered that you liked it. And then I think when I hit you up on Facebook or whatever, and I was like, oh, remember War of the Roses about that nasty divorce? Like, I want to do that. You want to be involved? And you were like... This doesn't ring any bells, but sure, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but now, once I was watching it, I was like, oh my god, this is either deja vu, maybe I've been through this, or like, what? But no, it was all familiar, and then, yeah, mm. you know, some, certain scenes were starting to, you know, either ring with me, or just, I'm like, man, I really remember this, so, I think you're right. <laughs> oh, okay, good, that makes me feel better, because I was kind of just going to be like, wow, like, LaShawn and I had such a great time in college, and I'm misremembering everything we ever talked about, it seems. <laughs> so, no, oh, okay, so so you had some, once you started watching it, like you said, you had some kind of grounding for this, or some memory came back. Exactly, and I'll tell you those scenes later that kind of sparked that, because I was like, oh, I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Okay, well, good, that, that, I'm, I'm a little more excited then to talk about it. Um, I guess, just kind of the first thing to get out of the way then, 
I know I said it last week. I, I think I've said it on this podcast before, and I think I briefly mentioned it. I fucking love this movie. I <laughs> thoroughly enjoy this movie. Like I've loved it for a long, long time. I think I saw it like maybe like back near the end of high school. Like someone else I knew liked it, and they were like, "Yo, check this out." And I had never really seen a movie like this. Like just two characters fighting nonstop, and it just gets darker and darker and more absurd. And it just hooked me, and I absolutely loved it. And I think from what I'm kind of now, you're telling me I did remember correctly. That's why I said to you, "Oh, you got to check it out." Like it's it's this really kind of strong relationship based movie, like character chemistry, and it just gets crazy. Like it just escalates. So I guess exactly. top top line item. What do you think now? Seeing it, you know, at least at least nine years from when we would have talked about it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. The first thing I got to say is it's it's pretty awesome. Like, I love how they tie everything together at the end, um, which we'll get to that. But I love just how raw it is, because that's the truth. You know, um, Danny DeVito kind of has that one quote where he says, you know, the moral of the story is, you know, dog people and dog people and cat people and cat people. <laughs> yeah. And you don't cross. But what's the moral? Other than dog people should marry dog people and cat people should marry cat people. I don't know. Could be just this. A civilized divorce is a contradiction in terms. Maybe because of what happened, I've become too traditional. Maybe it's not natural to stay married to one person for life. My parents did it. 63 years. A few of them good. It's so true. Like, love is tough. Love is hard. Love is not easy. And, like, you can sit there and, like, even in the beginning when they, like, just start to butt heads, but then they go to bed and they're just like, I love you. And it's like, that's what real love is because you just have to continuously choose to be with someone. And I love that he captured that spot on. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it is very realistic even in – no, I wouldn't say even in – even when the movie gets dark and they're really, like, actively choosing to hurt and damage each other <laughs> – even though some of the things they do are out there, you're kind of like, this This could all happen, you know? It's like, I right. could totally see, it's it's an extreme case, but I could totally see someone, like, running over the other car. Like, the husband has a car, the wife <laughs> has a car, and then one's bigger, so they're going to use it against the other type of thing. Right. And, oh, yeah, it is. So, I, I guess, um, I don't know if this movie really has been forgotten. I think some people still talk about it. But I guess before we go any further, it, it probably is a good idea to give a little bit of a plot summary. One, because uh, just to give everybody a grounding if they haven't seen this movie of what we're going to be talking about. And two, it's really easy to give a plot summary of this movie. Very. <laughs> Man and woman meet. They fall in love. They have kids. They start to hate each other. The woman really starts to hate the man. Woman wants a divorce. <laughs> Man does not want to accept a divorce and, like, sees it as loss. And then eventually they just both need to get the house. Like, the, the materialistic possession of the house becomes huge. And it's just like their whole relationship devolves as they just are staying near each other and trying to win in the divorce. Which I love, like, my quote at the start of this episode. There's that scene where Michael Douglas is like, Look, we got it all figured out. Here's the blueprints to the house. I get the red areas. She gets the yellow areas. And then the green areas are neutral. And Danny DeVito's like, and you both think this is rational? 
And he's like, I'm going to win. And he's like, there is no <laughs> winning. There's only degrees of losing. The red areas are hers. The yellow areas are mine. Green is neutral. The kitchen was difficult, but Barbara came up with the idea of time allotment. This seems rational to you both? Yeah. Look, Oliver, my father used to say that a man could never outdo a woman when it came to love or revenge. Why don't you just let her have the house? There are other houses. There are other women. No, 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 Gavino. I'm going to win because I've got her to accept the ground rules. Oliver, there is no winning in this. It's only degrees of losing. I got more square footage. And they just get so into hating each other that they just want to connive with each other and get them out of their lives in any way they can. And it's just, like we said, it gets so realistic. It gets so dark. But it's, it's just something else. And uh, anything, anything you think I should have I left out or you wanted to add in there on the summary? No, that's literally it in a nutshell. Like, you captured it spot on. Right on, right on. So this, uh, now that we set the stage that this is the movie about a divorce going bad, very bad, this movie came out in 1989 on December 8th. This was a Christmas holiday play movie, which is <laughs> so strange to me. <laughs> so not only did it, it's not also kind of one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, you know, they, they just didn't know what to do with it. So they dumped it on December 8th, like around the holidays. They didn't just dump it. They, they were consciously making this like a Christmas, not themed movie, even though there is some Christmas tree scenes in it. It's not like they were like, this is going to be the big holiday movie of 1989. But they marketed it that way. I don't know if you read about this, but one of the trailers, I, I tried but could not find the actual trailer. But I found some articles describing that one of the trailers for this movie had a play on the 12 Days of Christmas song. They, they, you know, like, uh, on the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And they mm -hmm. just replaced all the words with nonsense for the movie. And I wish I could have found it because I would have played the whole clip. But they describe it, thankfully, in this article I found. So this was the trailer for this movie about a couple literally fighting each other to the death. In the <laughs> War of the Roses, my true love gave to me. Twelve traps of flying, lots of orchids dying, piles of statues breaking... All the walls are shaking, lots of flying chairs, tumbling down the stairs, five broken teeth, four fractured bones, three cracked ribs, two wrecked cars, and a puppy in a pate. Woof. <laughs> that was the trailer! They were marketing this movie as, as like, literal harm to people with a Christmas theme. That is insane to me. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I'm glad you found that because that just like I could just see it now and I would have been like sold. Where's my ticket? <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm glad we are in agreement because this is such contradictory things. It's like the, the, the marketing and the movie are butting heads just like the man and the woman are. But this worked. This movie had a twenty six million dollar budget. It made a hundred sixty million worldwide. <sighs> like this was a massive box office success. And so whatever that. The, they got to do that more often. 12 Days of Christmas with some violence in it. That'll sell, it looks like. <laughs> and it's crazy because it was just so simple. Like that budget makes sense because there was nothing overboard. There was nothing like it was 
it was real. Like I just love the like simplicity of it all yes. when they told this story. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you completely. A lot of this movie is just two to three people in a room yelling at each other. Like <laughs> like there's like I guess like we said like the cars you know getting destroyed and stuff like that. That's where some like you know uh, money comes into play. But overall, it's all kind of just very small. It's a very small, simple movie, and it it just it just broke the box office and surprisingly it did well it was not the best movie of 1989 i always like to look in this stuff it was the 12th highest grossing movie of 1989 i think it made somewhere like 85 or 90 in america which is where i have these rankings from at least but this was also the year of batman was number one so like the first batman movie ever that made a bajillion bajillion dollars and so uh, number five was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Number six nice. was Back to the Future 2. So there were some other, like, big movies coming out this year. But things that it did beat, which I was very interested to see, uh, The Burbs was number 34, which I love that movie. Uh, Young Einstein was number 79. UHF, which I actually rewatched recently, the Weird Al Yankovic movie, that was number okay. 105. Um, and then two movies we've done on the podcast before, one from our previous director series on Paul Bartel, his movie Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills was number 140. And in 1989, Akira, the, uh, the anime movie, was number 189. In America, it did not make a lot of money back in the 80s. But <laughs> had to, once I saw the list, I had to get that on there. The other thing that stuck out to me when I was looking through... Um, some of the the other people behind this film, I was really surprised to see that one of the producers of The War of the Roses is James L. Brooks. And James L. Brooks is, like, one of the main producers, or was for an incredibly long time, on The Simpsons, like, back when it started, and back when it was getting to, like, its golden ages of, like, seasons 8 through 13, or whatever the hell people call the golden age of The Simpsons these days. (laughs) I feel like it changes every year. But... Once I saw that, I kind of started to think, like, oh, you know, they have, like, Danny DeVito, who's uh, cynical with his movies. Uh, I guess just for context, the the movie we did last week was Throw Mama from the Train, where Danny DeVito kills his his teacher's ex-wife and then wants the teacher to kill his mother. So they want he wants them to, like, trade off murders. So it's very cynical. This movie is very cynical. But it has that kind of satirical element that I would kind of expect from some earlier Simpsons. And so I think that's what makes it succeed, not being bogged down in, like, goofy Simpsons animated stuff, but having that kind of bite to it, where you have, you know, Danny DeVito saying, like, you know, the what's the moral of the story? You should, dog people should marry dog people, cat people should marry cat <laughs> people. And everything he's saying, like, how bad lawyers are and how, like, dirty he's like, he says something at one point. He's like, everybody's mud. We're all mud down at our core. It doesn't matter how many years we've evolved. We're all just evil. At 15, I became an evolutionist, and it all became clear. We came from mud. And after 3.8 billion years of evolution, at our core is still mud. Nobody could be a divorce lawyer and doubt that. And right. it's a very cynical movie. And I think that's why it works so well for me, because I love that it just gets to the reality of just how hate-filled certain people can be. And that's, if there's anything that this movie's about, that's, that's what the movie's about. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, like you said, with the little, little bits of humor in there, like, um, you know, when the movie starts off and she's giving the kids sweets, and uh, she's all like, 
you know, you don't give kids uh, if you give kids sweets, they'll they'll have self-control when they get older. So they won't they won't turn fat. And it's just like then the kids just turn into like the chubbiest little chunk monsters. And it's just like just you yes. just kind of look past that stuff. And you're just like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that's the other thing that this movie is kind of there are definitely like some comedic lines or a lot of comedic lines. But even I find funny some of the way things that are, are just delivered, like there's really just dry delivered lines like it, there's that scene where like uh michael douglas oliver rose the man we have oliver and barbara he he gets like this his he becomes partner of his law firm so he has like the big job now and then she's stuck at home just being a homemaker but she wants to start a pate business and then she goes to tell him this and she says something like yeah remember when we had that party and this one of our friends liked our pate she said i should sell it and I was like, are you serious? So I, you know, made her some pate and I sold it to her for $35 a pound. And Michael Douglas just goes, you sold liver to our friends? So I took a pound over to her and collected $35. I'd almost forgotten what it felt like to make money. You sold liver to our friends? And it's, <laughs> it's so dry, but it makes me laugh because it's just, it's like, why is he just weirded out by this? It's like, yes, that's what you do. That's what pate is. That's like, I sold it. What? You sold liver to our friends? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, but you're right. Even the, the comedic lines, like you said, when the kids – when we have that, another flash forward and the kids are older and they're all having, like, the dinner party, the kids are going to bed and they're like, can we take some of the cake into our bedroom or something? And they're like, nope, nope, time for bed. And then Danny DeVito just goes, I was chubby when I was a kid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just like, you know – yeah, a lot of it is played for laughs, and it's a great juxtaposition of, like, some of the stuff, some of this movie is so dark, but you have that comedy in it, and it kind of balances out really, really well. Even in that same scene, I find it hilarious that the uh, Danny DeVito's girlfriend or date is, like, rubbing her foot in his crotch, and the table is completely see-through. Like, like everybody can see this. Like, the, the table is glass. Like, you could look through the table and see what's going on. <laughs> well, that and then he gets the gravy as, like, a massage oil. I'm like, gravy as a massage oil? That's when I lost it. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was no, no good. I, I did not approve of that. The food on the feet type of thing. <laughs> Especially um, at the I, table. And I think the whole clear table thing was, like, the whole thing of just being transparent. Like, I think it just had to have been deliberately, like, placed there to just show how transparent, like, one, everyone in that room knows everyone's business, everyone knows what's going on, but yet the Roses were trying to act like they were different than everyone else and, yeah. like, all this. But Danny DeVito's character is just like, no, I am who I am. I like foot jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually really glad you bring that up because that was something... Uh, that we were talking about last week, and I think we're going to talk about this whole series, is that Danny DeVito is a really good director. Like, he's doing things with art, are these artistic choices. Like, it's, a, it's not just a clear table, so, you know, you don't have to get the camera under the table to see the foot. You know, it doesn't, make, it doesn't just make the shot easy. It makes it mean something, because you're absolutely right. That yeah. whole scene is just, is just people being fake and everybody seeing right through it. Like, even exactly. when Michael Douglas is like, do you want to tell the story? And she can't. Like, she just sucks at telling the story. And there, there's no way you can sit in that room and not be like, okay, this is awkward. They practiced it. It failed. Like, like he's angry about it now. It's all transparent, like you said. Yeah, and then uh, I like how he, after, when they went to bed, he was like, 
do you think that they saw that I was being a jerk? And then, or she, she asked him that or whatever. And he was like, no, they never realize that I'm being a jerk. And it's like, <laughs> no, they just never call you out on it. And that phony laugh. <laughs> that was a genuine laugh. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe I overdid it. I was just trying to keep things going. God, I hope they didn't notice what a jerk I am. They never seem to. But they probably all realized how awkward it was when you cut your wife off and, like, finished the story for her. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think that's one thing I really like about this movie is that they don't waste our time with the, like, the perfect marriage. Like, it's the only time their relationship is perfect is on their first date when they meet. And then everything else, like as soon as they have the kids and, you know, all that stuff, something is clearly wrong and those cracks are forming. I love that this movie doesn't waste our time with anything like, oh, here's their wedding, here's their honeymoon, you know, here's, here's like the, the best times of their lives. It's like, yeah, they're, they're together, they like each other, they're attracted to each other. And then they have kids and he's working and the kids are annoying him and, and she's feeding them sweets and he doesn't want that, but she wants that and it's just like... It's just right. It's like, bam, hits us. Like, you know where this is going, and the movie is just going to escalate, escalate, escalate from there. Oh, yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you. This is a two-hour movie, maybe a little under. I think it's like 156 or something like that. What did you think about the pacing? Did you think that anything slowed down for you, or did you just kind of feel good the whole time through? Honestly, that's a, when I first saw that it was two hours, I was like, what could they possibly cover in two hours? But oh, yeah. the way that they had Danny DeVito telling the story... They had Barbara and Oliver's relationship just kind of like you you became a part of it. You kind of understood both sides. Like there was times where I was like, man, you know, that Barbara, you know, she's a piece, real piece of work. And then the other times I was like, man, I fucking hate Oliver. And uh, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was part of the relationship. There was times where I'm like, I want to hug this one, not this one. And then the kids, I was just like, man, your kids are demons. Like I want to leave the house. And just it was perfect. Like I, I wouldn't change the time. I, there's nothing I would really cut out. Right on. I'm I'm in total agreement, and I, I was very interested to feel this way because, you know, after I, well, knowing this movie as well as I do, and then after watching it for this recording and then looking, doing some research into it, um, I found that it was written by a guy named Michael J. Leeson, and whenever I find writers, I always like to look into, well, what else have they done, and I was kind of surprised to see that the, most of the stuff he had written, a great handful, is TV shows. And I always have the issue, I know we talked about it last week, that when TV writers move to movies, they always can't get the pacing right. Like someone who's used to like the 30 to an hour minute format, they always have an issue stretching things out. But I did not feel that, that way for this movie. And I think that has to do with the fact that this movie was actually adapted from a novel of the same name by a guy named Warren Adler, who I have no knowledge of. I looked into some other stuff he's written and I was like, I've never heard of any of this. But... I think that kind of helps. Even if this guy came from TV, he had some grounding. He had this novel to make him understand, you know, how to pace this story out. And it, it does wonders for this movie. Like I was saying before, it escalates. You know, there's every scene motivates the next with their hatred for each other. And it always pushes the boundaries of what the previous scene set up. And that's what keeps this movie going for me. Like, I especially love the fact that they really start to do things to each other because of accidents. 
Like, the, <laughs> the, the, the Christmas tree is definitely an accident that it gets lit on fire. You know, sure, they were bickering about the lights or whatever, and that could have been the cause. But, you know, he it's not like we saw one of them light the tree on fire. And then he does accidentally hit the cat. Like, that is definitely a true accident with the way the movie uh, shows it to us. And then two accidents happen, and then they just go off the rails. Like, she's like, I'm going to lock you in the sauna. He's like, I'm going <laughs> to saw all the heels off of your shoes. And it just gets worse and worse, and it never slows down because you kind of just think, like, okay, when are they going to stop? Like, the natural progression is that they're going to murder each other. <laughs> <laughs> And the movie starts off, um, you know, with Danny DeVito saying, you know, when a man that's making $450 an hour tells you that he has to tell you something, you start listening. And uh, you're like, oh, crap, like, maybe I should start listening. <laughs> and then uh, even when they first, like, fall in love and she does the little handstand splits and he's like, man, I love Nantucket. Yep. And it's like, dude, you don't love her. You love what you just saw there. Like, let's be real. <laughs> and uh, she follows up that by saying, you know, this is a great date. If we end up together, this is going to be one of the best nights of our lives. Otherwise, I'm basically just a slut. And I'm just like, wow, like we're just going to put it out there like that. Like this is no Hollywood movie. This is yeah. this is real deal because, you know, you want the fairy tale. But if it doesn't work out, you just had a one night stand with some guy that you just met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they just own so much of the reality for it. And like I said, we never get lost in that that fantasy time period, you know, where everything's perfect and. It just jumps to when, okay, this is the next thing that's going wrong, the next thing that's going wrong. And it, it like I said, it escalates, and I, I love that. I also have to bring up in that opening scene, which when they're, on, when they're just, you know, they meet, and then she misses the ferry, and they're just having sex all night. She calls his dick the bald Avenger. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's the return of the bald Avenger. <laughs> definitely, definitely have not been familiar with that euphemism before. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I was going to try to figure it out, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go down this rabbit hole, and I don't know if I really want to know. <laughs> I do like that it, it comes – it's only that in once at the beginning and then at the end when they're, like, boarded in the house together and – they're in the attic, and then she's she says to him, she's like, I want to I see or I want to meet the bald Avenger again. And he's like, you haven't called it that in years. And I'm right. like, this should be the biggest red flag to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much good there. Like, especially, you know, once he, uh, I don't know how you want to break down the how we discuss this. So I don't want to go too far since we're at the beginning of the, the movie still. But um just like you said, the accidents and it's little stuff like that, which is so honest because you when you start to dislike someone, anything they do or any chance you get to blame them for something, you're going to take it. And that's what the movie is. It's like you let it fester. You let it build. You know, they moved into the house and the first day they move in, he's like, all right, honey, you got this. I'm going to go to work. Yeah. And she's like, what? We just moved here. And he's like, well, you got the easy job. And she she was just pissed. Oh, yeah. And it's like, dude, like, I get it. Like, if I were her, I'd probably be pissed, too. I'm like, we just moved in. You're just going to leave. But it's little things that if you don't talk about, hey, the next time he comes home for dinner, it's like, oh, yeah, poison sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, you, you are absolutely right that that's what this movie does so well is I think that um, that is definitely something that is so well done where, you know, it's just they both get under each other's skin, and it's just like everything is going wrong, and you understand why they're blowing up at each other about this stuff. You are absolutely right that, that this is kind of exactly how these types of relationships play out. 
And I think something I want to mention, I do want to go through some of the scenes and stuff, but some of the things I want to mention and, and ask you specifically, you know, this is not a unique movie in terms of, you know, couples start to hate each other, they want a divorce, and things go sour. You know, even before this, there was the movie Kramer versus Kramer, which got a lot of critical attention. But even today, like, what was it, the last, last year, we got that movie Marriage Story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And I remember people were like, oh, this movie's so good. And I'm like, okay, I got to see what's it about. And it's like this couple's going through a divorce, and they fight in the movie. And I'm like, this just sounds like the War of the Roses. Are they going to, like, crush each other in cars later on? And it's like, no, it's much more just, like, that interpersonal drama. But I think that's why this movie stands out to me from the others, because this is the only one that actually takes it in this violent direction. You know, I haven't seen Marriage Story, but I, I think it, you know, is, is much more emotional than it ever gets physical. But I, I can't imagine that we would get a movie like this in this day and age. It would be like, you know, why, why are they, you know, punching each other? Why, why are people pissing in fish and stuff like that? Where it needs to be all this more emotional type stuff. I don't have you. Did you see or have you heard of Marriage Story? I haven't heard of that one. Uh, okay, this is the first okay. time that, that's brought to my attention. It was a big, uh, I think it was like a big Oscar movie. People were liking it for whatever reason. But I guess that's me just being cynical these days. Every time a new movie comes out, I'm like, oh, yeah, they just did this movie back from back in the day and just put new actors in it or whatever. You know, we're always recycling ideas. But I, I think that's the point I want to make is that this is not a unique movie for its subject matter, but I definitely think it does it the best. You know, it's not just the the emotional sitting and talking. Like, it takes those dark turns, and you really don't expect them at some points. And it's it's kind of great. Like we said, the, the cynicism of it and how it escalates is beautiful. Exactly. So I, I also, when you were talking about the uh, the dinner scene where, you know, they clearly the dinner goes a little, not wrong, but awkward. And then they're in bed, and they can kind of make up with each other, you know, and they're still, their marriage is still there. I think it's the scene directly before, yeah, when the kids are younger, um, where he just wants to work, and then she's like, let's go for a walk, and it's revealed that she bought him the car. And, oh, right, right. And yeah. so I think that scene is very interesting because, you know, that's like one of those that's, – that's a big thing to kind of patch things up. Even though in that scene, like the only thing that's wrong is that like he wants to work and she wants to just, you know, feed the kids sweets and all that stuff. But – She's like, I got you a car. Like, I got you a car that I'm pretty sure she says had to be shipped over from England. Like, it, it definitely is an English car. His driving, his uh, steering wheel's on the wrong side. Yeah. Is that, is that okay to say the wrong side? <laughs> no, you can't say the wrong side. <laughs> but so, yeah, that Morgan is definitely pricey. <laughs> yeah, so that that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, um, from the little research I did, it's a 1960 British Morgan. Like, it... It look it's a nice looking car, I guess. It's not my like cup of tea, to excuse my British pun. But see what you there. But it totally just I find it so strange that we like barely ever get to see it used. You know, it's like it's in that opening scene. That's it. He just has this car now. He hits the cat with it a little later on, but what that's like you know twenty seconds in the car. And then we're seeing it get beat up by a, what looks like a monster truck to me. She's driving like a damn monster truck at the end of this movie. No, I wanted to pick your brain about that car because I, it seems like a, 
a very specific thing. Like, I, I maybe more of the time, like when this came out in 89, you know, being filmed in maybe 88, 89, that this would have been more of a well-known car. Because when I just hear Morgan, I have no knowledge of that. I, that's probably before my time, right? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so with the car, I think the way they used it, um, just when I was watching it, because I thought the same thing, and I was like, oh, man, I want to see more of this car because – he seems like he's about cars and then she gets a car and then they don't talk about her car until like later on down the road. And when you mm-hmm. finally see her car, like you said, you're like, oh, my God, she bought a monster truck. Like <laughs> this, like this isn't just, oh, honey, I bought a new car like she bought something wild. Um, but I think when she first bought it for him, it's kind of like the it's it needs some work. It needs restoration. Like the car isn't ready to go. But they're willing to put some work and time into it to to get and money mm. to build it into something beautiful. And um, the other thing with that car is that she he asks her, he says, you know, how much did you pay for it? And uh, I can't remember what her response was exactly, but um, she basically like shrugged it off and said, oh, it's no big deal. You know, we'll we'll make this up in the future. Yeah. And then she shows up and she's like, hey, you know, I bought a car. And he's like, oh, you bought a car? How much was it? And she's like, Oh, twenty five thousand dollars or whatever, and he's like, "You're gonna have to sell a lot of." Uh, and then he did the math and did the whole thing. He's like, "You know, you're gonna have to sell seven hundred and fifty pates or whatever it is." Yep. And um, he gets really offended that she bought this car, but it's kind of the same thing where she's now trying to get her future together, and this time he's not supportive of her the way she was for him. Mm-hmm. So I feel like at that point, that car, their cars became something totally different than just being cars, and uh, that's why the Morgan. You know, it just had to get destroyed. Their relationship was done. She helped him build it. She helped destroy it, too. Yeah, yeah, That that's a really good point that, you know, all of these material possessions, we don't really see them used in the movie in any other way than to be damaged to hurt the other ones. Like, all the statues that fill their damn house. They got so many statues. Frisbees. <laughs> and, and yeah, and then and then their cars, their their pets. There's so much animosity to each other's pets, you know, where there's that one scene where Michael Douglas like literally just like palms the cat off of a stool. Like the cat's just on a stool and he's like in the kitchen, he just like whips the thing across the room. <laughs> and then there's another scene where she keeps throwing like liver at the dog, but it's faking it out. So the dog is just not getting food and she keeps giving it to the cat and it's like, oh my god, like they hate everything the other one owns. It's it's such a interesting use of all these possessions and stuff like that. Big time. Yeah, the only thing is the house. That's the one thing that they both want, where they they just feel like they're entitled to that house. <laughs> And but that's so crazy because it's like we know that it's not even about the house. Like neither of them really, like he definitely didn't care too much about that house. Um, he was just like, "Cool, honey, you got your house now. Hopefully that keeps you busy." Um, yep. And so I think for him it was more like if she has the house, then I don't know. I can't. I don't really know why he would want the house other than just to have make sure she didn't have it. Yeah, and I, I think that is definitely where he comes from because there's that – when they first go to, like, the divorce lawyer or something like that, um, he he's like, you're asking for too much. And the lawyer has his, like, note that he wrote when he thought he was dying in the hospital. And then he's he says to um, to Barbara something like, you have sunk so low, like, using that note, you know, like, I wrote that to you at oh, a time right. of hardship. Right. Yeah. And now he's like – and I'm pretty sure he says something like – 
I would have let you have the house, but now you're not getting it. He's like, now you've, you've yeah. crossed the line. This is a who can sink lowest, fastest contest you won. By showing him my letter, you have sunk below the deepest layer of prehistoric frog shit at the bottom of a New Jersey scum swamp. I may have let you have the house, but now you'll never get it. You will never get that house. Do you understand? You will never get that house. So, so it sounded like he was kind of pissed that she used his love for her against him, or like she was making him. Maybe he felt weak because he, she had this love note of like all this stuff, and it's like, oh wow, now we look, we look stupid because we were so in love, and now the love is gone. Yeah, especially, I definitely think it's dirty. It's it's definitely like kind of dirty, but I get it. Like if you're going through a divorce, if like someone wrote you this note and you're trying to use it to like up gain like a, a leg up in the divorce or something fine i think it's excessively dirty and shady that she uses that note that he wrote to her while he was at the hospital that she never goes to see him at she never doesn't visit yeah. at the hospital and i'm like that's like even that's not good <laughs> no not at all my, my favorite though is after the hospital he's like yeah i almost died and she's like you know when you almost died i felt happy and he's yes. just like you're not going to apologize? You, how dare you say that to me? And then she's like, I want a divorce. And I love his response. He's like, no, you can't have one of those. You, you don't get that. <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure why I didn't go to the hospital, but now I think I know. I'd just like to put today behind us, okay? Okay. I was going to drive to the hospital, but I knew you were okay. Because I never think... Uh, Anything really terrible could happen to me or the kids or you. And I was getting on the expressway, and suddenly I had this very strong feeling that you were dead. And I knew what it would feel like to be alone in this house, to not have you in my life. And I got so scared, I had to pull over. have to be scared anymore. I got scared because I felt happy. You were happy because I was dead? I was happy to be free, like a weight had been lifted. Like a weight had been lifted? Yeah. So, so how am I supposed to respond? You tell me you wished I was dead? I thought it was important. I think you owe me an apology, Barbara. 
If you have something to say, I'd like to hear it. I want a divorce. No, you don't. You can't have one. Yeah, and I those two scenes are where the movie like just feels so realistic, you know? Where it's like one person in the relationship is like, I thought you were dead, and I felt relieved, and I was surprised that I felt relieved, but I felt relief. And then it's like, she, I think he says something like, why would you say that? Are you going to apologize? She's like, I'm not, not going to apologize for feeling that way. I just thought it was important. And it's yeah. like, I, could, I, just, I feel like I've, I've heard of that shit and probably lived that shit where it's like, why did this go through your mind, one? And then two, why did you feel the need to bring this up? Right. And then that whole thing when he's like, why? He's like, we've been together for like 17 years or something. You have to give me a reason. And she's like, I can't be specific. And then he's just like, <laughs> keeps badgering her. And she's like, because every time I look at you, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just like, that is some real stuff. Like these people can't, this isn't like just a movie world where everybody has the right words to say all the time. Like some of it does seem way too emotionally irrational and just like a spur of the moment thing. Because it's like, what, three in the morning when she tells him she wants a divorce. Like, yeah. it's just, she's just like, for some reason, it's time. It needs to be said. Well, what's crazy is right after that, when they're, they're talking and, uh, he, you know, you kind of feel bad for him. You're like, oh, he's fragile. He just came out of the hospital. You know, he's hurt. And she hits him. And then he's like, oh, that's cool. Next time I'm going to hit you back. And it's like, <laughs> yes. oh, wow. The tone of that just changed. Like, I was like, oh, man, like she slapped it. Well, she punched him. But I was just like, oh, no. Like, ah. And then after that, it's just like, oh, this just this just stepped it up another notch. Like yes. he's ready to fight her. <laughs> I I love when he gets punched. Like the, his acting of getting punched. Like him, he doesn't he doesn't like fall down, but him like stumbling around to the door to like catch <laughs> his footing. It's so good. And you're right. It's like that's when the movie. I think that's like the midway point, like the 45, 50 minute mark, where that happens, and he's just like, next time I'm gonna hit you back, and the whole tone of the movie is like, oh, we're going here, like we're gonna get darker yep. and darker. <laughs> I, I think you know it's it's interesting where we have that balance between both of their points of view. Like going back, what I said, not that I don't think Marriage Story did this, but if this movie got like rebooted for today, or it was a more modern movie. They would pick one person to definitely be the bad one and one to be the good one. Like, you would be siding with one person by the end of the movie. And the fact that this movie doesn't do that is what makes it better. It's like they both have good points, they both have terrible points, and they're just bitter towards each other. And that balance is what makes it interesting, I think. Oh, yeah. And then the the cool thing, too, with the whole thing is they're not really bothered by, like, anything the other does. Like, it's more of, like... They're playing chess. It's like, what am I going to do next? Because she locks him in the sauna. He's like, whatever. You know, he gets past it. He cuts the heels off her shoes. She doesn't even say anything. Like, it's just like, all right, well, I'll get you back. And they just, like, play this cat and mouse thing and just go back and forth. But they're not really bothered. It's because, like, at the end of the day, those things don't mean anything. That's not what they're after. They're just trying to, like, provoke the other one to caring again. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that... It, it, that mixed with the winning of the divorce, the the winning, doing air quotes, <laughs> because I think it's after the heels, she she tries to have sex with Danny DeVito, who's his his divorce lawyer, <laughs> and she's like, and it, that's the point where I'm like, wow, it's like she really you know wants to you know do something with this divorce, but then I think the movie does kind of a bait and switch because she's not successful, like Danny DeVito. 
like uh, rebukes her advances and smokes his first cigarette in 13 years or whatever like he talks about in the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie but then later on when oliver goes to see danny devito danny devito's like you need to calm down like you guys are getting way too out of hand like you should sell the house and split the profits all that stuff and oliver's immediately like did she get to you did you bang her and he's <laughs> like no and he, and it's like so he kind of oliver sees that that's something she was going to like use in her arsenal type of type of thing so it's like that chess yep. like you were saying for sure yeah and then i love how he's like uh after that he's like yeah she used to be a gymnast you know and then he's just like she did yes <laughs> he like, oh, looks very crazy. longingly into the camera oh, yeah <laughs> yeah even in that that scene when she tries to seduce him it plays back to the um the foot under the table from before mm-hmm. where she yep. she puts her foot in his crotch and he goes put your shoes on barbara i haven't been in defeat since 82 besides money what would it take to get you to help me, Gavin? Now put your shoes on, Barbara. I haven't been into feet since 82. Have you ever made angry love? Is there any other way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they, they do a good job of just, like, keeping it... I can't really say they keep it light, but they definitely make light of certain situations yeah and it's like dude this man's wife is in your office trying to seduce you and you're just like casually just joking about like foot jobs and all this <laughs> stuff and it's like what? yeah it, it is it's uh this movie definitely knows when to use the comedy it's like um i know we talked about a little bit on black swan but one of the things i hate about like the modern big blockbusters like the marvel movies or any of those like big spectacle things i feel like Every serious moment, you just have a joke to follow it up, and you never understand what tone the movie's trying to give you. Where this, it's like, we have that, like we were saying before, that good balance of, okay, things are getting dark and darker and darker, but then there's a little funny little bit, you know, to just kind of remind us that, you know, things are light in some parts of the world, but then back to their relationship, just dark, dark, dark. And I think there's a certain point in this movie where it just goes full-on, like, dark and almost insane when she has her dinner party and he crashes it in the most obnoxious way. Like when he shows up with like the top hat on and like just the white t-shirt under the, under the the suit jacket. And that, I mean, I think we get that last little beat of comedy where he is just like being what he, he doesn't, he's like sneeze directly on the table or something. And he like throws his handkerchief in a punch bowl and then he just leans over the table and he goes, now I guess I'll go in and piss on the fish. <laughs> yeah. Hello, darling. Sorry I'm late. Well, I guess I better not sit too close to anybody because I have a bit of a, of a cold. I flew! At first, I was like, what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, you're really going to go piss on the fish, literally. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, – we're going to have to describe it, but everybody needs to see at least this scene in the movie to understand how great the visual of Michael Douglas peeing on this fish is because – it's one of those ovens that's not, like, on the ground. Like, it's one of those raised ovens. So he has to stand <laughs> on a stool, open the oven, like, pull this thing a fish out, 
and pee on it, and we get the great visual of like him peeing on it and like looking over his shoulder when she comes in. And oh, it is it is great, and it's just but she's like, so calm about it though. She's just like, so you know, are you really going to ruin my dinner party like this? Like you know, <laughs> these are my clients. Like, yeah, <laughs> and he's just still holding, you know, dick in hand and just peeing, and he's just like, yeah, you know, like, no, I am going to ruin this party because you're rude, and it's just like, how are you having a civil conversation? <laughs> and when that the one of the guests comes in and he sees what's going on, she like whips the like the pot at him, and he falls yeah. over. And the guest is just like, it looks like a little family tiff is developing. Oh, it's yeah. Like, that is way beyond a tiff, okay? <laughs> They've passed a tiff. <laughs> if I were you guys, I would stay away from the fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's like, I don't know if we should leave, but we should pass on the fish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then it, then it just goes. That's like the last, I think, like 30, 35 minutes. It just goes off the rails. Because she crushes his car in front of all those people. The thing that gets me is that he's in it. He's in that car because he's ca- trying to call her bluff. Yeah. And that thing just gets torn to shreds by that monster truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what – I wonder why they gave her character that truck. Like, that she could have drove anything. Like, but she has, like, the most – I guess I don't like putting genders on cars, mm-hmm. but like that's the most masculine vehicle I could ever imagine a woman driving. And so like I don't know what the meaning behind that is. Like I don't understand why that truck, maybe just to crush the car, like he already planned that. He's like at some point she's going to crush something and it's going to be that car. Sure. Yeah, I I I kind of I guess I've just always taken it as like, you know, she's felt belittled by him in the marriage, so she wants this this giant monstrous thing and it it looks like a monster truck. I don't think it actually is a monster truck. I think it's just like a big truck, right? It's it's lifted and it's got huge off-road wheels on it. So monster truck vibe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe back in the 80s this was this was a monster truck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just I feel like, you know, she's trying to like we always that cliche in media and stories where it's like, you know, a dude gets a huge car cuz he's got a small dick. Where it's like she she feels so belittled and small in the marriage, she needs this huge car type of thing. Other than just to crush the other car later on. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be because even when he got the – I didn't understand this. Maybe you could uh, shed some light on your thoughts. But when he hires the housekeeper or the live-in uh, sitter or whatever, mm-hmm. but it didn't make sense to me because I was like the kids are leaving the house. So like was he just trying to take her last role from her as like – a housewife like was he just like the last little jab at her like hey you can't do anything right so i'm gonna hire someone else to do your job and uh you know that's kind of what i took from it because then she kept being all defensive she's like i don't really need you here my husband is the one who wants you here Mm -hmm. and you know i'm not some woman that lives in my husband's shadow i'm you know i'm my own person and yada yada and she just goes on this rant and i'm like what is this scene for (laughs) yeah i i definitely think that when the I think I think there is some like time difference. I think the I think the maid gets hired a little like it's not like the year before they go to college, maybe a little bit more. So it, there's some sense for her to be there, but I I also kind of have taken it as where, you know, he wants to get this maid and he wants, you know, in this fancy house take care of the kids type of thing as more of the status because of his job okay. and going off of, you know, when we had that dinner scene earlier and stuff like that. 
And um, and now I think that's also around the time when he's like, oh, I'm with my law firm. I'm working on like this guy's Senate uh, committee meetings or something like that. So he's working for more high profile clients and uh, he's trying to raise that stature. And I also think it's just kind of like he has a very, I don't know, not not I wouldn't say outdated, very a very strict thought on like how his family dynamic should be run. And I think that that is shown or made clear later in the movie where he's just like, you know, we can make this work. He's like, they're like hanging on the chandelier and he's like, I still love you or something like that, you know? Like he just right. wants all this back. And, and I think where it's just like, you know, the the woman does this X, Y, and Z and we need this maid to take care of the kids and he's not really thinking about what it's going to mean to her type of thing. But I, I will give you that that scene when she just rants for like two minutes at the maid and she's like, so you understand why I can't hire you? And the maid's like, well, you know, good luck with your life then. And she's like, <laughs> let me show you your room. And then there's just the maid for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, okay, so she's feeling c- crazy too. You know, it's not just he- him that's crazy. She's going nuts as well. <laughs> yeah. There's, I don't even know where that movie t- just, it just took me on a roller coaster ride. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah the, the maid is a very interesting, I would be interested to look into the, the novel and see if the maid has more of a role. But to me, the maid has always been one of the weaker parts of the movie because the maid never really does anything. The maid's point, it seems, is to show up at the end when she's like, you're going to kill each other and then, like, tell Danny DeVito to, like, go to the house at the end to try and save them but fail. Like, the maid just has very little to do, and I've always been confused about why she's kind of involved with this whole thing. Yeah, because she was in the car when he ran over the cat. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. She was just like... Oh, mister, you killed a kitty. Like, it's, it's like, okay. Well, well, and then, like, she just – and then I was surprised. She's the one who took the, the Ziploc back with the cat away. She didn't even care. She wasn't phased by any of it. Yeah, so I don't understand. It. Yeah, may, maybe there was, like, some stuff that was cut out or, or you know, edited out of the movie because the lead-up to that cat scene is when <clears throat> they're – the Oliver and Barbara are sleeping in different rooms – And the maid goes to Barbara and she's like, can I borrow a sleeping pill? And she's like, did Oliver come make you come ask for it? So maybe there was more in the movie where she was like their middleman, like they were only talking. Like I imagine there's some scene somewhere where Barbara and Oliver are two ends of the dinner table, the maid's sitting in the middle, and one of them is like, Susan, I think the, yeah, Susan is the maid's name. Like, Susan, can you tell Barbara to pass the salt? And then Barb would be like, Susan, can you tell Oliver that he doesn't deserve the salt? And you'd get that kind of scene where she's being used for whatever purpose for them to communicate and live together. But since we don't have any of that, it's very, very loose. You know, it's very – the other thing I was expecting is – you know how in, um, I guess, the the flash the, – the present time, the framing device, when Danny DeVito keeps talking or telling the story, he gets a call from his wife at one point. And he's like, oh, I'm with a client. Like, I'll call you later or something. And he keeps telling the story. Right. I thought they were going to tell us at the end, like, him and the maid got married. But you never know who his wife is. And so I was like, this maid just has nothing to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then the maid, now that you're, we're talking about her, it makes me wonder, like, what was, like, the kids, like, had no role really either. Like, they didn't really cause any extra drama in everything. Like, they were just there. So it seemed like she was doing a good job raising them, you know, with him being a, a working father. So that part was good. The 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 daughter had nothing to do. The daughter <laughs> was just like, 
you know what she's she's making out with her boyfriend in the car and then she's yeah. like my house is on fire and the boyfriend <laughs> goes mine too baby <laughs> and she, and goes, she goes no you idiot my house is literally on fire <laughs> and then we do get that one scene where the son is like angry at the dad and the dad's like you can't trust women he's like don't put your shit on me dad you know that type of thing oh right and I so it's like there's scene. a yeah. little bit there but there, that's never really fleshed out or anything and yeah, it, it's just it, we get so much energy just from Barbara and Oliver that it makes everything just kind of just fall and and be almost a little filler type thing. I do have to say though, the son is played by Sean Astin, so uh, my, uh, Mikey from the Goonies from four <laughs> two four two or four years earlier from this movie. Um, but it was I didn't remember he was in this, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right, when he was younger. But yeah, I, I think the only other character that really like matters to this movie is Danny DeVito and not because he does too much in the story. It's because of him telling the whole story. Exactly. I really like that scene uh, the, with the, when the Christmas tree is on fire because uh, Barbara was just yelling at him like, you know, put the fire out, put the fire out. And he's over here like reading the directions on a fire <laughs> extinguisher and he's just freaking out. And I'm just like, and she was just so calmly just like, are you going to put the fire out already? Like, and it was just like, the burning Christmas tree in between them. And like, it was just a cool scene where I was like, Oh yes. man, they're going to lose this house, but they didn't lose the house. They just realized they can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think that w- that goes to the point you were making earlier with the, um, it's they're They're more bothered by just each other's existence than what they're actually doing. Cause you're right in that scene, the whole living room's on fire pretty much. Yeah. And she's just like, you know, she she just is inconvenienced by it. <laughs> right, because, I mean, like, she's she's more mad that he can't use a fire extinguisher than the, the fact that their Christmas tree is on fire and they might lose their house. Like, yes, and and I, I do agree with you that, that him trying to use the fire extinguisher is hilarious because he's, like, <laughs> scrambling around and he's, like you said, he's reading it, but he's reading all the directions. And he's like, yeah. one, store in a cool place. <laughs> Two, point away from face. And it's just, it's just so well done. <laughs> Squeeze trigger and he's like facing the wrong way. He has <laughs> turn around. He's like, oh man. Oh yeah, that that I that always gets me. Just the yeah. I, I think that's you know, that whole scene is great because you get that those fantastic visuals and and I think that's, you know, just kind of – it's crazy to see these movies where we have all these great visuals that are just juxtaposing two characters, and it stays fresh. You know, we never get tired of just seeing these two characters on opposite ends of the screen. Like, we are always just ready for what are they going to do next. Yeah, but what's crazy is they're – at the end of things, they actually would make a really good team if they could get their crap together. Like, they're both <laughs> hardworking. They're both motivated. Like – they they're ambitious people that have drive and passion and everything and yeah. they just can't see it like they're just too busy trying to stop the other one yeah if if they could just like you know find a way to channel their evil powers to somebody <laughs> else other than each other they would definitely just like rule the world it seems like they could have started their own law firm you know <laughs> they could have and maybe that's the thing is like so many relationships and all these things fail but at the end of the day it's just this lack of like we all know it's lack of communication. It's the lack of being able to explain what you're really angry about. And the movie just captures it. It's like you're going to ruin your house. You're going to ruin everything that you're trying to build if you're not on the same page as your partner. And 
you know, you might be a great team, but you just can't talk about what's really bothering you. And if you don't talk about it, well, guess what? Your house is going to catch on fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like you said, destroying their house when when they reach then when they go past the point of ever talking again, and they just hate each other. And you know, he starts boarding up windows and stuff like that, and and she's trying to drop the chandelier on him. It's like it's so good to watch, but you can't help but think it's like there there could have been many things done before this to make sure this didn't happen. <laughs> right. She's just sitting there casually, like. Yeah, I loosened the uh, I loosened the screws on the chandelier. It's like, oh, cool, all right, and they're just both looking at each other, like, well, I guess we're at this point where, you know, <laughs> that is such a good encapsulation of this whole movie when they're on the chandelier and he's like, we're gonna swing over, and she goes, no, I loosened the bolt, I was gonna drop it on you, and like you said, he's just like, good one, he's like, that's it, I should have thought of that type of thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> even with the with the fire and the you know the whole Christmas tree, that great visual, even later. He just, like, destroys the stove, and the stove is just, like, burning. The, for, for just, like, it's we just, see it in one scene, and then the maid, when the maid comes back, she just walks in, and the kitchen is just on fire. <laughs> like, oh, that house is a mess. Yeah, and all Barbara said was, like, I thought you would have been more creative. And he's just like, okay, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's just pure animosity. Like, it, it doesn't – you don't need them to be screaming at each other. You, you At that point, it's just – Everybody knows how much they hate each other. You just need that calmness. It's like it's like they've wrapped around the spectrum of anger to get to just calm anger. And oh, yeah. It's so well done. And then, I mean, like you said, that whole spectrum, they ended up at, like, acceptance, and they were just like, yep, this is what it is. You know, we ruined each other's lives, and it was fun. We love each other, but uh, I still hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think that's another reason I really just love this is – is because we never get that moment of reconciliation. You know, we never get where uh, the happy ending, you know? It's because they they fall off the chandelier at the end. They seem to die. I think they die. You know, I mean, the maid has the line of going, they're dead, and we don't see them move, so I totally take it that they are dead. But even before they die, you know, he slowly moves his hand onto her shoulder, and her last little bit of, of like, life is to push it off. Like, there right. is literally no moment of them ever saying sorry or making up for things. Like, this movie owns that they just hate each other. Big time. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of people would be drawn to a movie like this is because, you know, you're sitting there and you might – it's like you're walking around and, you you know, when someone's like, oh, have a nice day. And you're like, don't tell me how to live my life. <laughs> like, sometimes you want to say that. You're yeah. just like, leave me alone. Um, but you, you don't do that stuff because like the human nature in you has, or the society has taught you not to do those things. So Mm -hmm. like being able to want to like prank your spouse or like, you know, glue them to a toilet seat or something crazy to get back at them. Like you don't get to do those things. So like you want to go like ruin their favorite toy or something, or, you know, just do that and get them back and be like, you know what? That was nice. Very therapeutic for me. It's going to piss them off, and it's going to be nice. Yeah. But we're raised to not do those things because that's not what you do to handle problems. But sometimes you just want to. And this movie just, like, shows what people would do if they really could, like, be uh, – what's the word? Um, God, what's the – just be raw about their feelings. Yeah. And really yeah, like, raw is a good way to put it. And I just feel like that's why people would be drawn to watching this. Like, it's a train wreck you can't look away from, but you understand the characters. You feel what it's like, and you've been there. But you've had to stop yourself and be like, no, I've been raised better than this. I don't do these things, but I've thought of it. I just don't do them. 
That's yeah, that's a really good point. There definitely is some vicarious nature to this where like you said, you know, the train wreck you can't look away from. Like everything we're seeing is evil and full of animosity, but we kind of like it. Like we're <laughs> like I know I'm definitely like excited like okay, what what are they going to do next, you know? It's like he got locked in the sauna. What's the next level of retaliation? What's the ne- her cat's dead? What's the next level of retaliation? And and you kind of just you're excited to see where it's going to go, even though you know it's never going to get any better. Yeah, well, the crazy thing is the people that do act out on and like do get pulled into these like raw emotional like acts of passion, they end up they usually end up in jail or dying or something crazy. You know, oh, I'm going to go key my boyfriend's car because he did something stupid. Yeah. Well, now like you've just unleashed the whole world of hurt towards you because you decided to break the norm of just saying like going somewhere and hiding in a corner and crying and leaving it at that you decided to act on it. And now you've committed an act of passion and now the world is going to be against you because you're just a monster. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this movie, like you were saying, it exemplifies this. Like what if both people didn't have that filter? Like just like it's, it's that volley, that back and forth of just, you know, the, the outdoing one another. And I, I guess going along even with it's not only outdoing in actuality, it's actually just what can I do to upset them the most next? Because, of course, w- we get that scene where he eats her pate and she's like, it's your dog. And he <laughs> freaks out. Like that really starts like a lot of like the house boarding up type of thing. But we do get the quick shot of the dog outside. So we know that she didn't really kill the dog type of thing. It's just that she wants to just anger him no matter what. <laughs> and it's just it's it's crazy, you know. It's it's kind of like like you said with the with the keying the car or something. It's like, you know, going to the stage where you want to cause this other person to be angry, but you just want to like give them the illusion of that for some reason. It's it's so it's so interesting. The dynamic is just, you know, something I don't think we get to see in movies these days or not that I've seen in a while. And it's 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 so so perfect that it captures that idea. It's 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 a great kind of just simple tale about that yeah can you imagine if they made this movie but like it was just like written as if it was like a passive aggressive couple like they just did mild inconveniences to each other the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah then i think it would have to be more of a comedy like you said someone would get glued to a toilet seat type of thing (laughs) and it would be like just the like the slapstick comedy of like trying to get unstuck from a toilet seat type of thing yeah I feel like it could work. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it could work. Something like that probably exists, and, and you know, it would it would just be like, yeah, the passive aggressiveness would just be very interesting to watch in comparison to this. Because, you know, there would be so many things you'd have to take out. Like, you know, you couldn't destroy the cars. You couldn't kill the cat. Even though it's an accident, I think that the movie wouldn't allow for that. But, I mean, even the scene when, I, I guess the implication is that she just chomps down on his dick in the attic like you can't have that like that is that is full-on aggressive for sure (laughs) (laughs) well i love how they follow up that scene with him just standing over like the bidet and just like he's just like ah ah, ah." and i'm just like wait she just (laughs) so much just happened (laughs) yes yes absolutely because because she uh you know she starts to you know get intimate with him to catch him off his guard which he should totally see as a red flag but doesn't she bites his dick and then what she like pushes him out of the attic like she slides him across the floor and pushes him out of the attic and it's just like oh my god like the 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 movie is just telling us they're gonna kill each other (laughs) yeah but danny devito he had mentioned that when she came to his office he was like 
um, she said something about angry sex or something, and he was like, "Is there any other way?" Yes. And uh, I'm just like, "Oh!" And so that's what I think. Their whole, re- I think, all of them are dysfunctional. So yeah. that's why he probably gave in in the attic. He was like, "Oh, it's just another makeup, angry, you know, roughhousing sex type of thing." Yeah, like all of this has been foreplay to him. <laughs> right. It, it, honestly, it might have been. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That. Yeah, you know, it definitely is different, us watching the movie versus in that moment, you know, in that just crazy both of them losing their minds. I, it's totally understandable that, that he could kind of, you know, fall for that trap so easily type of thing. Because the one scene I didn't get, so when she cracked his back, um, was that him just, like, being old or did she purposely, like, wrap him up and, like, mess with him? Like, Oh, earlier when she, like, puts him in the leg lock? Yeah, and I th- I think that was her just being angry at him, and it's starting to come out. Like I definitely think that you know she hurt him in some way with her uh, gymnast skills. Gotcha, because I I think that's what it was, and then like because then he goes to the hospital and meets that one guy, and then like that scene was hilarious too. <laughs> Guys, like yeah, it was a nail file this time, <laughs> and he's just so casually, and I, she, she like... feels bad about it after every time she does it. <laughs> <laughs> the wife stabbed me in the stomach. With a nail file this time. She's training to be a manicurist. They make good money, you know. I'm trying to get a doctor for you, baby. They always feel bad after. Mr. Rose, I'm Dr. Gordon. This is my associate. Dr. Hellerman, Jason Larrabee called us in. How are his vital signs? We were here first. We'll be with you in just a moment. Man, take it easy. Can't you see the guys dying over here? And I think that was, like, also foreshadowing and just, like, that that guy captured the whole theme of the movie in a nutshell. It's like, you know, we're on a sinking ship, but it's okay. You know, this is this is just the life I've chosen. Yeah, yeah. This this cuz you know, we don't even get we don't get any more scenes from that guy. It seems like though, well clearly he's been stabbed by his wife at least one prior time. <laughs> and he's very calm about it, so he's accepting of it, and it's kind of like, you know, for some reason that dude and his wife want to keep the marriage going, but we don't know why. And then we right. get that, that comparison where Barbara and Oliver, you know, she doesn't want to keep the marriage going. He kind of does. They just want to be together to, to win the house for like 20 minutes type of thing. And you're right. It's like some way the ship is always sinking, but we're just ignoring it. Or if we're not ignoring it, we are just finding other reasons to stay on the ship. It's like, you know, if you're actually on a ship – and it's the the water is coming in from one end. You're like, no, it's fine because it's dry over here. Like <laughs> everything's okay, even though there's a lot of water on that side of the ship and it's moving up. It's still dry over here. And it's like, you're right. That is probably not the stance or view we should take in some of these relationships because eventually the water will fill up everywhere. I would be crazy. It'd be crazy to like read the statistics and see like the trend of divorce and stuff. From like the the 80s moving forward, because I know in the 2000s they definitely spiked. Sure. And so I feel like that movie was kind of like a a shift in older traditions where you know oh you don't get divorced you you ride it till the you know the wheels fall off you just mm-hmm. you just ride that ship all the way to the bottom of the ocean and I think it mentally like ruins people to the point they die on the inside. Yeah. But um. You know, before movies like that, you know, it was always you always work it out no matter what. Like you always find a way you just but sometimes, you know, people are just in these relationships that are sinking ships. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's it's usually that I think well, another 
moral of this story of this story is that you know it's it's probably better get out of this stuff before somebody gets really hurt type of thing absolutely yeah so maybe the house them fighting for this house is the marriage the ship the everything mm-hmm. i don't know there's mm-hmm. so many ways you could kind of pull apart different aspects of this movie and really analyze it yeah i i like that point because you know that i think that exemplifies what we've been saying where it's like staying on the ship you know they they basically destroy the house in trying to stay in it type of thing like all the windows get boarded up the stove gets destroyed the living room gets burnt to a crisp from the uh the christmas tree the chandelier crashes all that stuff it's like they all these materialistic possessions they have get destroyed as a result of whatever they're trying to do so no i I dig that for sure yeah we need to see more of this now you got me thinking about the the divorce statistics type of thing like that would be (laughs) that would be crazy to see like where does the the shift happen and it's like oh right around christmas of 1989 (laughs) (laughs) all danny's fault (laughs) so i i guess um speaking of the the reality of divorce and things like that uh, i found a very very interesting but in a disturbing way story from the late 2000s, so I think it was on 2009-2012, where this movie, unfortunately, I think the good way to put it is unfortunately, inspired a very disturbed man in his harassing and stalking of his wife, ex-wife, as they were going through a divorce. So, no good, don't do it, I think we can say that for certain. Here on Cinemodities, we are not for holding people hostage and burning things down, don't do that. But from what I found, there was this guy named Richard Schenkman. His wife wanted a divorce, Nancy Tyler. He was not going to give her one, and he was hell-bent on keeping his family together. And he eventually burned their house down, held her hostage, but she got away, and he got 70 years in jail. And I think he was like 60 at the time, so that's pretty much a life sentence. But in the articles I was reading, he is like... Nancy, they interview the ex-wife, Nancy, and she's talking about how he was referencing this movie in what he was going to do to her. And it's like, oh, God. It's like, no, this dude is just crazy. But unfortunately, that happened. I had to bring that up because I found it very disturbing but interesting that apparently someone saw this movie and tried to emulate it with his own anger against his own ex-wife. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) No good. Don't do it. Get the divorce. It's fine. (laughs) Which I think maybe that's why a lot of like states now have a rule where like if your spouse or whatever contests the divorce um, after so many, I think it's so many months, like three, four, five, six months, something okay. like that, you can have like a, you can basically push through with the divorce even if they don't acknowledge, you know, signing the papers and wanting to go to court and do all this stuff. So it's probably for the best that they they don't hold people hostage in divorces. Yeah, I've never really... I guess I've never thought about too much of that stuff before, but I think that that makes some sense because, you know, if it has to be like a mutual agreement and one person is steadfast against it, it seems like that's just going to lead to negative outcomes, you know, the majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a tough one. The whole history of divorce and things like that. <laughs> and yeah, that's oh god, yeah. Very very <laughs> <Got> interesting. <you. laughs> Yeah, and it, th- this movie hits it so well with the the perils of it and stuff like that, and it's just it's kind of just you know like you said that train rock train wreck that you can't look away from. I, I guess that brings me another question I wanted to ask is you know 
when we get the the whole framing device of the movie, like we said with Danny DeVito, and he's telling this story to a, a potential client, he says something, I think, in that first scene where he's like, I never want to say, make the same mistake I did with Oliver. And I'm kind of like, well, what was the mistake? Like, you were definitely trying to lead him down the right path. Like, you told him what you thought he should do, and he didn't do those things. You know, he just kept trying to, you know, anger his wife and, and get into these negative situations. But I couldn't really pinpoint, it's like, what did Danny DeVito think he could have done more of to save these people or save not this marriage, but just their lives or something like that? It's like Danny DeVito never seemed like he was ready to actually get in there and pry him apart with a crowbar or anything like that. He was just, you know, letting it happen type of thing. Yeah, I never thought about that. I don't, I heard him say that too, and I just, I couldn't figure it out, and I kind of let the thought go because I was like, maybe he just means like he felt he could have done more, maybe he's just guilty conscience kind of thing but also okay yeah he never really did anything he never oliver came to him a, a couple times and so did barbara but they never they were just looking for like what can we do next to you know make this process go away and he there was no easy way so maybe yeah i don't know yeah even that scene when he's talking about when barbara tries to seduce him he says something like i should have seen her foot in my crotch as a cry for help and it's like, even if you did, what were you going to do? Like, who are you going to tell that she tried to have sex with me? Like, what is that going to accomplish? <laughs> <laughs> what did, What was the legal advice that he gave Oliver in the big, or uh, yeah, Oliver in the beginning when he's like, you can, it's something where he like took him to the library and they like pulled up some law book and he said something like, you know, if even if they're living in the same house or something like that, you can basically call a relationship abandoned or yeah, something. it was because uh, Barbara wanted the house, he, and Oliver didn't want to give it up. And there's he found some law on the books where it's like, even if even if a one or both of the parties are trying to get a divorce, they can still live under the same roof as like legally. Like you don't one person doesn't need to move out. And he says something like, you know, they wrote this law for poor people who couldn't get other residences when they were going through a divorce. Civil Code Title 16904, Section C. I used this once for a freebie divorce I did for my cousin Paulie. Total loser. Read. For purposes of subsections 1 and 2 of paragraphs A and B. Yeah, skip down here and blah, blah, blah. Parties who have pursued separate lives. Parties who have pursued separate lives, sharing neither bed nor board, shall be deemed to have lived separate and apart from one another, even though they reside under the same roof... Even though they reside under the same roof? Yeah. The law was put on the books for poor people. Folks who couldn't afford separate residences during their divorce. But we can use it, too. That means I can move back in. If your divorce is settled in court, it shows that you're committed to the property. Plus, you can see she doesn't start selling off the assets. And then Danny DeVito uses that where he's like, this is what you should do. Even if she wants a divorce, you stay in the house and it'll show that you're like dedicated to the property. And it'll make it more likely that you can win the house later on. So maybe that was the mistake. Maybe that was it. That's a good point. Just like giving him this information and, and, and putting fuel on the fire to some extent. Yeah. That's a really good point that just him like starting this whole thing off could have been the mistake type of thing. Because I think the movie makes it clear that Danny DeVito and Oliver are good friends kind of, you know, for a while. Whether or not it's before or after him and Barbara meet each other. But it's not like, you know, Oliver went to a divorce lawyer that he didn't know. It was Danny DeVito who who knew him and should have had some expectation of, you know, what his friend was going to do. And he just kind of was like, no, these are the legal loopholes you need to jump through. I, I like that. 
that's what I'm probably going to run with as what the mistake was because even when like um, she had the dinner party and stuff, he came. Oliver came to him and he's like, you know, what can we do here? Like she's lying to me, and he's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with lying. She's she can do whatever she wants. Like mm-hmm. she's not breaking any laws. And I think even at that point, Oliver was still like fairly sane and was just trying to be like, hey, you know, like help me out. And maybe he just didn't give him the advice that he was looking for. Like, hey, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And he didn't say anything. So then it's like when you give someone that's lost, no information, no help, they're just going to dig deep to find something. Yeah. And who knows? But he was still pretty sane at that point. Well, no. Yeah, actually, that I think that was when he was like, you know what? This is all is fair in love and war. OK. Yep. Because because <laughs> that dinner party, that's when he's like, I'm ready to just piss on some fish. So <laughs> that, that could have been the breaking point. No, that that's another interesting point as well, where, you know, you hire this lawyer to give you this advice. Well, what can you do? And he's just kind of like, you can't do anything. You know, we need more grounds. And it's like that's not what he needed to hear at that point in time. He needed to, to act, have something actionable because like you said he takes the action in his own hands. Everything's fair. And he just, you know, everything goes off the rails. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the advice he gave him. He said, she's allowed to lie. She's allowed to trick you. Like she's allowed to do these things. None of it's illegal. So you can go home and piss on her fish. Like you're legally allowed to do that. Right. <laughs> I guess so. I guess there's no, as long as you're not serving the fish afterwards. Right, you could it's legal to pee on a fish. I I can't imagine there's anything against that. <laughs> <laughs> now we're gonna go Google that. <laughs> <laughs> if you made somebody eat it afterwards, then you run into the issue. I would bet. <laughs> but what if you put it on the menu and you just didn't tell them that it was like it was in the item description and they just didn't read all the way? But you're like, no, Ooh. I told them that it was seasoned with my finest urine. It's like, uh. <laughs> That is something to ask the uh, Maximo, the lawyer for our restaurant, see what we can get away with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Interesting segue. (laughs) Oh, uh, excuse me. Uh, What is this? Uh, This is tart toast. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, my. What the? Hey, buddy. What the hell, man? What? What do you mean, what? What the hell is this? It's tar toast. I just said that. This is not edible. No, it's tar on toast. What, did you eat it? Yeah, I ate it. You served it to me. Whoa, I served it to you? Yeah. Is that like street tar? Yeah, it's like street tar. Why did you eat it? Because you told me to. What is wrong with you, man? You asked me what this was. I said it was tar toast, and then you put it in your mouth and you ate it. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like, definitely diving into. I think the thing that's what I'm getting most uh, excited by or intrigued by are these Danny DeVito movies. It's like there's actually there's stuff there, you know. There's like meaning behind a lot of this stuff and these actual questions. And especially when a movie is this real, you can actually get to the heart of it. And that's that's some great stuff. It's not just you know, oh yeah, that's what happened, and we can't take it on their way. It's like we're actually seeing this real emotions being played out, and it's great. Yeah, exactly. So were there any other any other scenes? I know we, we talked about a lot. And like we said at the start, also, it is a pretty simple movie, you know. <laughs> but were there any other scenes that uh, stuck in your head or anything like that that you wanted to bring up? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I wanted when she was going to run him over. I was I was kind of torn because I was like, is she going to does she want him or the car? 
like she's not like I feel like they could have hurt each other really bad, Mm -hmm. but they never really tried to kill each other. They just wanted to like it was the weirdest thing. Like there was just this weird balance of like, let me hurt you, but I don't want to kill you. But then they end up killing each other. Yeah. And she could have drove over him in the car and killed him. But she like she knew he would either leave the car or just hunch down. And that was all she was trying to accomplish is that, like, I could kill you. Mm-hmm. And, like, they back and forth with this. I could, but I won't. I'm not going to. But yet they still end up killing each other. So it's just the weirdest thing. Yeah, it, there definitely is that, you know, they just want to damage each other's possessions or damage each other in this non-fatal way. And then, and then even at the end when they do end up – well, see, that – I'm agreeing with you, but that's where it kind of gets a little gray area because, you know – she was the one who was loosing the bolt to drop the chandelier on him. And but that, would it have killed him? Exactly. That's kind of where it's like, yeah. would that have killed him or that just, you know, like messed him up for a while. We had to go back to the hospital to get him out of the house. That could have been what she was thinking. Like, I'm just going to break his legs or something. He'll have to go to the hospital and then I'll have the house all to myself because that seems like what she wanted. And then that, that death at the end does seem very accidental type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't that, know, that, that's an interesting point. I think even in the car scene, she says something like, get out of the car. And he's like, no, you're not going to do anything. And then she does, but she knows that kind of he can hunker down or whatever. And there is, there is even like a reaction shot where she drives over the car and crushes it. And then you see her kind of look back and be like, oh, my God, did I do it? Did I kill him? And then he pops out and it's just they're back to hating each other again. Yeah, exactly. And then once they had the cars lined up and just she was like, get out of the car, honey. And he's like, no, I'm not getting out of the car. But the, and then they had just that shot of the cars facing each other. Like, that yeah. was just like, it was just like, was it the cars? Was it them versus each other? Like, it was, it's back and forth. But yeah, those cars, they use them very well as uh, props for like their personalities and their relationships and everything else in between. Yep. Yeah, I think with the, with the pets too, like how we have, you know, one, he has the dog, she has the cat, that type of thing. It's like they're all these just extensions, extensions of themselves. Yeah, and that's what's crazy is like, you know, there's the whole debate of what's more loyal, a cat or a dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard people argue that, and I'm just like, that's kind of a senseless argument. <laughs> but, um, you know, the dog will never tell people where your – or a cat will never tell people where your drugs are hidden. And it's <laughs> sure. like, you know, so I feel like it's kind of weird. Like, it's – they're still pets. They're still the same. Like, what does it matter? But for some reason, the movie uses them as, like, a difference in personality. Like, just, but it's also tactics. Like, dogs are claws and teeth. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess cats are claws and teeth, too. But cats are like, let me sneakily, like, sneak up on you and hunt you. Whereas dogs are like, let me charge at you and go for your neck. So, different fighting styles. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever really thought of it before, but that, I like that because that kind of mimics the end of the movie when they're stuck in the house. He's the one who's, like, searching for her, and she's just kind of like, I'm going to hide in the attic and loosen some bolts and stuff like that. Yeah. And so they have those two different ways of approaching this, like, situation they found themselves in. No, yeah, I dig that, that there's so much. But at the same time, now that I say that, it's almost the complete switch of their cars, where she has the big, mean car that's going to go after this little one that's a little, (laughs) you know, quicker and faster, and so... But I, I think at the same time, this goes back to what we said earlier, where, you know, we, we get both of their points of view. It's never one-sided. You know, we kind of see how they have all these different thoughts and feelings and expressions and things like that. And sometimes we, they, they do things that aren't character consistent necessarily, but they don't care about being consistent. The movie doesn't care about them being consistent. 
It's just about getting at the other one. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's pretty much all I had with that movie. Um, yeah, I think we touched on everything that caught my attention. Right on. Yeah, I think I think we got my, I think uh, the only other one little bit I wanted to mention because he has zero lines in this movie. So the guy that Danny DeVito is telling this whole story to in hopes of like him not getting a divorce or telling him what his options are at least. The dude has literally zero lines. Like he just looks at the Danny DeVito the whole movie. Um <laughs> that is Dan Castellaneta, who's the voice of Homer Simpson. So we have another Simpsons connection. <laughs> nice. There is a Simpsons episode where they had that, where um, they had the big red SUV, and I can't remember which one it is, but. Um, oh, yeah. I think where, like, Marge gets the big red. She, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. She's all empowered and, like, driving through traffic and going off road and, like, paving <laughs> her own paths and doing everything. So, like, I don't know. Maybe that's where that comes from. off the road the streets are for the living slow down you maniac show some respect for this coffin full of bricks representing a young man lost at sea yeah yeah in- interesting okay yeah I, f- I haven't watched simpsons in so long man okay but right on yeah yeah homer simpson is in this movie but he never speaks <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, right on. Yeah, I, I think it's a good movie. Um, in terms of Danny DeVito series, you know, it's it's uh, very different from Throw Mama from the Train, which was last week, which was, you know, cynical, like I described, but definitely way more comedic. And it's an interesting juxtaposition because next week we're going to be talking about Matilda, which is a kid's movie for, I think, the most part, even though there's some dark stuff in Matilda, if I remember right. correctly. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's a weird one, but as that's what I like going about this series. He doesn't just have one note. He's doing a lot of different things. So, with that being said, LaShawn, are you ready to talk about our questions for this movie? Yeah, let's hear them. So, let's start with uh, Cinemodity status and Late Night status. I think this is, with any movie that I have a lot of history with and that I, I you know, want to talk about, I think it's never uh, a surprise to me, as a cinemodity, definitely, I think with everything we've discussed with how real this movie is and how, you know, it doesn't, it does things that I don't think we'd see in this day and age, that it just keeps getting into darker and tar- darker territory. I think it has that one-of-a-kind feel in this kind of sea of just couples fighting movies. So definitely to cinemodity. For Late Night, yes. I, I think, once again, this is a movie that you can get a lot of good conversation from. I think, like we said with the pacing before, like it's not going to, you know, keep you – you're not going to get bored at a certain point. You're not going to, like, you know, fall asleep in the middle or anything. I think it will keep you alive. And I do want to even say I think this would be a great first date movie. (laughs) Like my first date, just go for it. Just be like, you know, if they're like, what's this movie about? Just be like, yeah, you know, it's uh, about a couple. They fall in love. They have some issues. And it goes from there. And it's like, okay. And then it just – gets darker and darker i think that'd be hilarious to see what somebody thinks it might make or break the relationship don't get me wrong but i think it'd be pretty funny (laughs) so i'm going yes to both what do you think okay so i'm going i'm going yes for i'm going yes for both too right on. honestly and i i definitely back you up on the date night thing or first date thing because (laughs) you might as well just get straight to the point you know if you can't watch this movie with me and laugh and enjoy the fact that like relationships are messy like maybe we shouldn't go down this path. <laughs> See, that that's a good point. As you were saying though, that it definitely made me think of 
well, what if, what if you two like it too much? And it's like, like a month into the relationship, like fish is getting pissed on, cars are getting crushed. <laughs> like, <laughs> now that would be a weird dynamic where other other friends or other couples are like, "Are you two okay? Like, you seem to really hate each other." Be like, "No, it's just a running joke from this movie we love." <laughs> and what's the movie about? Oh, a bitter divorce that ends in death. <laughs> Yeah, they're just having one of those little couple tiffs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a family tiff is breaking out. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I, I'm glad you're in agreement there for the late night. And you said yes to Cinemodities. Correct, uh, yeah. Do you think just for this uniqueness or the reality? Yeah, it's just not very Hollywood. Um, it's got a great True. script. It's got a great plot. But it just is not Hollywood. And I think that makes it very unique. Definitely, definitely. Right on. Okay, good. We're in agreement. If I remember correctly, we were not in agreement on anything for Black Swan. So correct. Yeah. <laughs> so look, okay, we got one and one. Perfect. The, the next, whatever you're on for next month, it'll, we'll see what breaks the tie. Um, all right. Okay. Then we get to the the fun part: the snacks, the things for the restaurant. I I think we saw it coming. Fish with piss. <laughs> I uh, I don't know what kind of fish. You can't tell in the movie. But it definitely does look like it's a whole fish. Like, they're just cooking, like, an entire fish in the oven. And I, I think this is a great question for the, the legal side of things. But like you said, I just want it, you know, I want to call it fish with piss on the menu. The little description will say something, like, a little more wordy, but it'll say the same thing. Just, like, fish with piss. And if you want it, you go for it, you know? It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure someone will see that, and they'll think that it's, like, pronounced fancy. They'll be like, oh, it's French or something. It's peace. Not piss. Fish is pee. (laughs) That that doesn't work. Not pronouncing the S's does not work. But, yes, you are absolutely (laughs) right. (laughs) Uh, For me, I would say I would go with – I'm liking the toe gravy. Like, I feel like just toe gravy is a good thing. Like, you get a massage with – gravy and i i don't like that but you're getting exactly the idea of the restaurant with that so it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) so so would you serve toe gravy or were you like saying people could get foot massages with gravy as like the uh, the oil i feel like there needs to just be two options completely on the Mm. menu you can have it your way oh okay perfect see i like that also (laughs) because if somebody gets a a foot massage with the gravy like as the the massage oil Whatever gravy is left over, we can then serve to the people who want to just eat the toe gravy. So it's just like it just like recycles it, you know, and it's perfect. That'll save us a little money. Absolutely. The sad part is that someone in this world is probably like, man, I want to go to this place now. <laughs> <laughs> I need toe gravy. <laughs> I, would, I would just love to hear someone order or ask about it. Like, what is the toe gravy? And it's like, oh, it's regular gravy, but it has been massaged onto people's feet. And they're like, hmm, okay, okay, I might get that. <laughs> Can I get a side of the toe gravy to go? <laughs> oh, so wrong. <laughs> no, that that's perfect. I wasn't thinking of that one, but the toe gravy is a is a really good one. And and leave it up to the customer. That's what we like to do here at the Cinematis restaurant. You know, it's up to the customer. It might not be good either way, but it's up to the customer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like this place already. <laughs> I uh, I was definitely interested in uh, pate for $35 a pound, but just sell it by the pound. Like somebody has to buy bulk quantities of pate, and it's definitely up to the customer. Once again, their choice if they want dog meat or not. 
<laughs> and so it's or surprise me. Yeah, exactly. They could get like the uh, the roulette of of pate, you know, or maybe we just have random bits of meat left over. So it's just like a a pate smorgasbord. Like there's some some dog, there's some beef, there's some I don't know goose pate could be in there, and it's all just lumped together in in a pound for thirty five bucks. I don't honestly, I don't know if thirty five dollars for a pound of pate is even a good thing. Maybe that was expensive back in the eighties. Nowadays, I don't know how much pate costs. But so maybe it's a, a draw for customers, cheap pate, or maybe it's too expensive and it's going to be like this really fancy thing. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the last bit I had was, of course, if you remember, LaShawn, this restaurant is infinite. We have an infinite amount of space inside the restaurant so we can play with a lot of things. I was thinking that we would have like, like maybe not a room, maybe like an area of the restaurant where a couple can like pay to rent it so they could have like the cinemodities restaurant couples therapy but it wouldn't be like talking to a therapist or anything we would just basically give them like a rage room like you ever hear of those rage rooms like you could just go and you pay for like an hour or whatever and you just break shit to make you feel better yep <laughs> and so it's that but we put the couple in there and we just let them go at each other like cat and mouse like like they did at the end of this movie and we'll see what happens if the couple dies they die but if they come out better and they want to save their marriage, then it worked or didn't work. You know, it's all up to the customers what they want to gain from it. But it's just it's kind of like they get this type of house to just throw plates at each other and throw statues at each other and and all that stuff just to kind of work out their issues. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. It's kind of like, you know, back when people thought, you know, the way to tell if someone was a witch was to kind of like drown them. And if they survive, <laughs> then, you know, they're a witch. And then you kill them. And if they die, well, then they were human. And, you know, you lost one. No harm done, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. We're getting, like, the Salem witch trials into the restaurant now. But for for current status of couples. <laughs> all right. That was all I had. I This movie definitely didn't have a lot of food in it, or at least food that made me think of anything. But you got a good one with that toe gravy. Do you have any others? Anything else for the restaurant? No, that that was good. That's everything. <laughs> okay, okay, perfect. I like it. So I guess uh, with all that out of the way, I already mentioned next week we're continuing on uh, with Matilda. He did Danny DeVito did a movie uh, between this and Matilda, which I'm going to watch. It's about Jimmy Hoffa. Apparently it's not too great, but I'm reserving my judgment because I like to watch the whole filmography whenever we do a director. LaShawn, thank you for being here. Thank you for talking about something completely different from Black Swan, like getting all the, all the range in here. We hope to see you again for sure, but with the uh, you're leaving us this time, what do you want to plug? Of course, we know about LJ's Garage. I want you to talk about that more, but is there anything else? Just throw it all out here. The floor is yours. Where can our audience find you? Yeah, um, if you guys want to talk more about Morgans and GMC Jimmies and whatever other monster truck things that you want to in the world, be sure to... Check out my YouTube channel. I have all sorts of different cars, trains, planes, automobiles. I'm lying about a couple of those things. But uh, <laughs> feel free to come check me out. Check me out on Instagram, LJ's Garage. And, uh, you know, I'm always down to chit-chat. And you guys can ask me about movie stuff, too, if you want. But I'll just point you to Rob. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, I will I will definitely put those in the show notes, uh, your YouTube channel. And um, I think I got your Instagram in there last time. But if I didn't, I will get that in here as well so they can find you. And um, I don't know, maybe they want to ask you more first date movie suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, all right. Well, once again, thank you, LaShawn. The only thing we have left is to talk about, well, how are we going to end this episode? And if you remember, we always like to play some music in reverse. The only issue with this movie is that there's not a lot of music. I don't think there's, like, any music. Of course, there's a score, you know, but we never get, like, a scene where somebody's, like, listening to a radio or something like that. So I was kind of taking or thinking we could take that scene when Michael Douglas is just kind of waiting for... Uh, Barbara to come out or make the next move or something. Do you remember he's just sitting in the chair and he has like four or five wine glasses and he's just, you know, making them make tones and he's just singing something terribly? Is what we should play in reverse. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's Just the closest thing we got to music in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of anything, yeah. No, yeah, like we were saying, it's all that just two-character energy that drives the whole thing, and it's so it's so refreshing to see that, you know? It's like these days we need the Marvel movie. We need 8,000 people on the screen at one time, and you don't know what any of them are doing. Where this movie's like, nope, just put two people in a house. That's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,